It is a great privilege to be here to um, induct, I think is the formal word. That sounds very scary, but uh, it's my honor because I do not know of a more choice ministry couple that God could be bringing to be under shepherds of this flock. You are enormously blessed to have a man and his wife who love Jesus supremely, who love God's people and love the lost, and are faithful in serving him. Uh, I'm not going to be shy about the fact that Daryl is one of my best friends. And when you get to be my age, you realize that you only really get to have a few tight, good, precious friends. And Daryl is one of those people in my life. But I'm also very excited for you because this is a page-turning day in the history of this church. And in my day, when there were significant events, uh, some faithful older Christian would get up and say, hats off to the past, coats off to the future. Uh, Let me translate that for you into maybe more modern lingo. Salute to the past. You better be seizing your future. The best way to walk into the future that God has for you is to put the past behind you. And that's part of what I want to share with you today. So we're supposed to be moving into the future. And Paul talks about that quite often in his writings, not the least of which in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Can I invite you to grab your copy of the scriptures, whether it's a tactile physical copy or a digital copy? Join me in 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is an anchor text for me. I'm privileged to be the old guy on our staff, and I get to guide uh, numerous young men and ladies, and I love to come back to this passage regularly and say, this is the heart of Paul's counsel to Timothy in um, the attitude and the passion that he should have in ministry. And so I want to read for you today how we can salute the past, but seize the bright future that you have as partners together in God's kingdom. So I'm going to begin reading at verse number 6 and go all the way to the end of the chapter. And as I like to say, every Sunday at City Center Baptist Church, when I'm preaching God's Word, that the reading of God's Word is more important than anything I have to say about it or anything you think about it. This is God's Word So Paul says to Timothy in verse 6, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Just linger over that word for a minute. It's character over charisma that matters. It's not your gift, your good looks, and your charisma. It's not your position and your title. It's the character of Christ that Paul said should matter. And so we're measured by a completely different measurement. So he says in verse 8, so yeah, well, bodily training, physical exercise is of some value, 
Godliness is of value in every way because it holds promise for the present life and also for eternal life. It's good for now and it's good forever. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive. That word strive probably means suffer reproach. Have any of you suffered reproach in Canada now because you say, I'm a believer in Jesus, I'm a follower of Christ, I stand on the word of God? Paul did, and Paul told Timothy to expect it. Hard days are coming, folk. You better be ready for this end we toil and Bear the reproach that comes with Christ. So he says in verse uh, 10, to this end we toil and strive because, wow, because we have set our hope on the living God who is, as our brother prayed in his prayer, the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Now it gets a little more complicated in verse 11. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. That doesn't technically apply to Daryl. <laughs> but I'm going to try to make it fit this morning. So let no one despise your youth, but set believers an example in the way you talk, in the way you live, your behavior, your conduct, in the great, great love you have for God's people. And for others, for the Lord, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading. The word scripture doesn't actually appear in the Greek text. The reading, he's referring to the reading of the gospel, the reading of the letters that were being circulated by the apostles, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. I love this. Now watch carefully. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. I understand immersion because I'm a Baptist, but I would expect you are too, that you baptize by immersion. You understand what it means to be immersed. Throw yourself, plunge yourself into these things, so that all may see your progress. That word punches me in the nose every time I read it. It's a unique word. It's the Greek word prokope or prokope. I'm not a Greek scholar. It's relatively uncertain about its etymological origins, but it speaks of a person who's leaning into the wind and showing others the way forward. So it's the person on whom God has set his blessing and says, you're going to be the one who shows everybody else how to go forward in faith. That's what Paul's talking about here. Forward in faith. Some of you are stuck in your past. You need to move forward in faith. And Daryl and Shar are here to help you see your way forward in faith. God needs to move you out of your past, good or bad. Some of you are stuck in the good things. The good old days are behind you, right? You had, you had great experiences. You achieved great things. It's time to put all of that behind you. You're not making any progress. Some of you have been burdened with painful pasts. That would be me. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. 
The very opposite. I grew up in a broken home. And my past, on a daily basis, comes back to remind me of the horrible things I experienced as a child that molded and shaped my life. And I'm telling you, this word has kept me focused through my life that God expects progress. He wants you to lean into the wind. He wants you to make forward in faith steps. So Paul says, if you immerse yourself in these things, others will see your progress. Watch now, verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself. Don't forget about yourself. Keep a close eye on yourself. Be honest with yourself. God desires truth in your inner person. If you do not learn the skill of self-awareness, you will trip up in your life. You could be making a mistake, but blind to it. Paul says, keep a close eye on yourself, Timothy. Watch yourself. Evaluate yourself. Think about what you just said and wonder if the motives were healthy and godly motives. So you be the judge of your own character so that others don't have to be. So he says, keep a close watch on yourself and on your doctrine. And if you do that, he says, you will save both yourself. Imagine this. You will be a savior for yourself. You'll save yourself and those who hear you. Do you realize the great influence and power that you have in your own life and in the lives of others? You can impact and influence others for Christ more than you probably realize. So this is Paul's call to move forward in faith, to progress in our spiritual lives. That's, that's kind of Paul's passion, isn't it? I would say... Paul had one overriding passion, and it was to move forward in faith. That's why he said in Philippians, not that I've already obtained this. I love that about Paul. Jeepers, this is the great apostle. If anybody knew God, he'd been lifted up to the third heaven. He witnessed the presence of Christ. He was miraculously transformed by the grace of God. Yet he said, I haven't obtained all of this. I'm a man on a journey. But he says, the one thing I do, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made my, uh, me his own. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have made it. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Daryl has been commissioned and commanded by God to come and lead you forward in faith and to say, thank God, hats off to the past, salute to the past. Thank God for those who've taught you, who've led you, who've shepherded you. But that chapter's over, dear ones. We're moving on now to what God has for us. The future is always more exciting for the Christian than the past. Do you really believe that? Or are you grieving and mourning and waiting for those days to come back? That's what's wrong, you see. God lives in the future. God's calling you into the future. He's waiting for you to move forward with him. So Paul says, if individual believers are going to move forward in faith, our spiritual leaders, our pastors and our elders have to show us the way. And he takes this, this word to Timothy and, and makes it into two paragraphs. 
he, he basically says, I want you to be growing in godliness, and I want you to be growing in your spiritual passion. I want you to have fire in your belly. I want you to have zeal in your faith. But let's start, first of all, in verses 7 through 12. You need to be growing in godliness, which is the end of our faith, you know. Holy living and godly living is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. Now, let's just stop for a minute. There's not a man or woman in this room when I say that feels like they've arrived and they're holy all the time. I will forever thank God for my Romans professor who used to tell us as an aged man to be holy is to realize you're not. And he used to say to me privately, Derek, the older I get, the more I find my flesh is more miserable than ever. And I remember Jason standing there thinking to myself, if this man who has walked with God for 50 plus years is still struggling to walk in holiness, I don't have a lick of a chance. And yet that's exactly what Paul says is God's goal for us. The gospel is meant to transform us from rebellion to obedience, from hatred to love, from fear to faith. We are new creatures in Christ, and it's supposed to shine in the way that we live. So Paul gives practical advice on how you move forward in faith and you grow in holiness. The first thing he says in, verses, in verse 7 is, keep focused. Don't lose your focus. I like to tell young pastors when I get the chance, the single greatest advice I remember reading from Scripture when I was a young pastor, I was only 21, 22, 23. At 23, I started pastoring a 350-member county seat church in the western foothills of the state of Maine. I'm married to a beautiful, blonde, hair, blue-eyed American girl, and we started our ministry in the eastern uh, seaboard in the, east, in the eastern United States. And I remember thinking there are so many things that are vying for my attention. Lord, I don't know how to keep focused. And then I came across the verse where Paul said to Timothy, nobody that wars in a spiritual warfare, gets entangled with the affairs of this life, that you may please him who has called you to be a soldier. And so through all kinds of debates and arguments and church fights and disappointment and failure, I learned to keep myself unentangled from often distracting foolishness. The next time you're in an argument... Ask yourself, do I want to stay here and lose my focus? So Paul said, don't get, don't get caught up in silly myths and endless geneal genealogies. He's basically saying, keep yourself focused on Jesus. That's not complicated, church people. We have one place to set our eyes when we pray, be thou my vision, we already know what the vision is. It's Jesus. People once in a while say to me, what's your vision for the church? And I'll say, I don't have a vision for the church. I don't mean to be rude, I, and I'm not lazy, but I'll say, I don't have a vision for the church. Christ is the vision. Let's set our eyes on him and follow him. You know what I've discovered? 
When you keep your eyes on Jesus, it births the clearest understanding of the steps we're supposed to take forward. So Paul says, keep your eyes focused on Jesus and on the gospel. Don't get drawn away by pointless, endless debate, including, oh, now, Darrell, you're going to regret bringing, but including uh, parts of doctrine that Christians argue about all the time and can't settle on it. A healthy church knows how to say, we're not going to split and divide and fight over matters that in my generation we would call secondary matters. For the sake of the one Lord, one faith, one body, for the health of the church. We're going to say, if we have trusted Christ, he is our Lord, we are one body. I'm going off on a tangent now. but So here's Paul just saying, the devil is not only the great deceiver of the nations, he's the great distractor of God's people. If he can get you distracted, he can deceive you and he can destroy your spiritual effectiveness because you're always harping about the wrong things or about lesser things. Keep focused. If you want to be a godly person, you must keep your eyes focused upon Jesus. He says in verses 7 and 8, it's, it's the key word here. You need to practice or train yourself in godliness. That word appears 15 times in the New Testament and 13 times in the pastoral letters, most of whom were used by, most of which were used by Paul. So Paul's making a big deal about godliness. So what's the key to godliness? How do I, a man that still walks in the flesh, I've been wonderfully redeemed by grace, I'm a new creation, but I still carry around this body of death, Paul said, right? In Romans 7. It was such a wretched fight that Paul ends up saying, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And he gave the answer in Romans 7. I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. It's in relationship with Jesus that our true character is transformed to be like Jesus. Let me say it again. That's God's goal for you. You have your Bibles, just look back to the previous chapter, because Paul gave them the key to godliness. He said in verse 16 of chapter 3, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, notice the formula, great indeed is the mystery of godliness. The mystery is explained in Christ. Jesus is the key. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So if you want to be godly, you want to live a holy life, the key is that you lean into the heart of Jesus. You put your hand in the hand of Jesus. You journey with him through all of life. You can't make it about the rules. You can't make it about your own expectations. You've got to make it about Jesus. And you've got to say, I'm on your, on your footsteps, Jesus. I'm on your heels. I'm passionately pursuing you with all of my might. And then and only then will you ever become the godly individual so you say, what does this have to do with Daryl's becoming our new pastor? Everything. 
It has everything to do. Darrell's eminent qualification is not that he has 30 years of experience already. It's not that he has an earned doctorate. I love to call him Dr. Dash. <laughs> and then tell him, I have an ache right here. Can you diagnose it for me? He says, no, no, it's a doctorate of ministry from Gordon Conwell Seminary, one in Massachusetts, one of the finest schools in the world. Daryl's respected and loved as a great author. But you know what qualifies him to be your under-shepherd? is because he's a man of humility. He's a man of true godliness. He's a true man of faith and speech and conduct. That's what qualifies him or any of your elders or any of your elders' wives or any of you as Christians. It's the fact that you live a life consistent with the testimony of Jesus. I have to hurry on here. How's my time doing, Jason? Am I doing okay? <laughs> I totally lost track of time. So he says, keep focus and practice godliness. Now, the word he used was train. It's the same word. It's the, it's the Greek word from which our word gym, your gym membership comes. Uh, it means to, to train like an athlete. I've been training now for over 50 years uh, as a man who is practicing to be like Jesus. Oh, man. Um, most days I fail. I seldom am ever satisfied that I have measured up. And then that word comes back to me from this text. I told you it was training, not perfection. You won't get it right every time. So when I bark at my wife, and I do sometimes, I'll say, baby, I'm so sorry. I, I just, I work at this thing, but I can be a grump. But I'm sorry. And she'll say, forget about it. And I'll say, no, 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 I'm not forgetting about it. I'm going to keep working so that every response I ever give you is like the gentleness of Jesus. Paul says you practice godliness. You're not perfect. Please give yourself the freedom of not trying to appear like you have it all together. Quit acting like you are Jesus and act like a weak, frail human being that is hotly pursuing Jesus with all your might. It's, it's beautifully freeing. So true godliness is what will set grace fellowship apart from other churches not just the form of godliness. I'm very sad that I was carefully introduced to the disciplines of a Christian without the careful work of character building. Putting Bible reading and prayer and evangelism and fellowship and discipleship ahead of taking the time to experience genuine transformation deep down in the mo at the motive level of your life. Not just where everybody can see you, but where only you and God know who you really are. That's where God wants to meet you. That's where God wants to talk to you. That's where God is interested. He wasn't impressed that you read scripture this morning if your heart is far from him. It really doesn't help that much. Oh man, my time is gone. And I haven't even touched my second point. So I'll just touch on this really briefly. Uh, I just want you to notice, I, I have to say a word about that. Let no man despise your youth. 
Because <laughs> it actually does apply to Daryl. Because this is, it brought me back to when I was a 23-year-old pastoring a large and, and influential church. I should not have been there. It was a complete miracle that they even voted to bring me. I was a mere child. I don't know how I got there to this day. But the verse that saved my neck was this verse. Don't let anyone despise you because you're young. And then I figured out, Lord, I can't control that they despise me because I'm young. He said, that's not the point of the text. The point of the text is that you be an example of the believer. Now here's what I've discovered. Now that I'm 61, 61, <laughs> now that I'm there, you know what I'm bothered by? When I was young, I was afraid of getting old because I might not be relevant. Now that I'm old, I'm afraid I'm not relevant anymore. And God says, it's not about age. It is not about age. It's about your example of true godliness in your life. Let me just talk to you briefly about my second point. That's verses 13 to 16. Uh, if you're going to move forward in faith, you have to be growing in true godliness, and then you have to be growing in your passion. Verses 13 through 16 is when Paul said to Timothy, I need you to keep the fires burning brightly in your spiritual life. I need you to stay engaged. I need you to be immersed in it. I need you to be passionate about moving forward into the future God has for you. Don't coast. I like to tell our church family, if you coast, you're toast. And I don't mean that you have to live at a frenetic pace. Uh, frene frenetic lives are shallow and weak lives. If you don't get a hold of your calendar and your schedule, you are destroying your soul. And soul care takes time. It takes Sabbath rest. It takes, it takes discipline to stay passionate. But you must keep the energy for serving Jesus strongly, strong. And Paul says there are two things you do. When, if you want to keep your passion growing, you must have a passion for Scripture. Verse 13, he says, I want you to read Scripture, I want you to exhort Scripture, and I want you to teach Scripture. You can tell a lot about a church when they ask you in the preliminary prayer time, are you reading the Scripture today or should we have someone else do it? Was what I was asked before I came down this morning. You tell a lot about a church that doesn't make Bible reading a secondary matter, but a primary matter, because we really believe the only thing left out of Scripture is your opinion. And you need to hear the words of God. It is the word of God, not my word, that will change your life. So Paul says, read it, Timothy. Read it publicly to your people. We've lost the discipline and art of doing that. I wish I could talk more about that. I won't. The word exhorting. So, Timothy, I want you to read Scripture, and I want you to exhort. <clears throat> Some preachers think it's slamming people. Some preachers preach like this is meant to reprove. Exhorting is not reproving. Exhorting is comforting. It's actually the, the root word used of the Holy Spirit, the paraclesis. It means to come alongside a brother and say, you've got this, Jason. You can live this scripture in your own life. I want to get personal with you. Look you right in the eye and say, go for it, man. Do it. Put this word into action in your life. Sometimes it means reproving. 
Sometimes it means you have to come along. Other scriptures say that. But this word is the teacher of God's word has to present scripture in a way that comforts people and builds them up. I've listened to preachers who spend their whole time tearing people down, making them feel about that high from the ground. They're not faithful preachers of God's word. Faithful preachers of God's word are building the people up in their faith so that they come unsure that they can do it. They leave absolutely excited about facing the new week with Jesus' grace and strength. So Paul says, read the scripture, exhort the scripture, and teach it to the people. That's the more organized structure of doctrine that needs to happen. I'll finish with this. Man, you're, you're easy to preach to. Uh, I get to do this every Sunday morning with a wonderful audience over in Mississauga. You're not quite as diverse as we are, but we're an incredibly diverse congregation over in Mississauga, and they just let me preach my heart out, and I feel like I'm home. Daryl, man, you got a great church. God's given you a great church this morning, man. One last thing I want to show you. Paul says, devote yourself to Scripture and use your gift to serve others. So can I say to the elders, please? Protect Daryl and the gifts that God has given him. Let him use his gifts to bless and serve others. I will finish with this. Close my Bible. I'm doing a series right now called Gifted for the Common Good out of First Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. I'm teaching on easy subjects like the gift of healing, the gift of tongues. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. But the basis, the basis of the, sermon, the, the series is in verse 7 of chapter 12. Every one of us have been, re, have been given a gift, listen to this, for the common good. Your gift isn't for you and to make your ministry great. There's no such thing as your ministry. There is a ministry, the ministry of Jesus. And we are here to lift up him and we are here to bless others. We have been given a gift to save others. So I love to watch for people that I can save. <laughs> He's talking here, of course, in the temporal sense. There's only one way to salvation. That's through Jesus. But you can bring an enormous amount of benefit and hope and encouragement to other people. You can turn the trajectory of people's lives around by loving them and sharing the gospel with them. And Paul says, when you use your gift, Paul... Daryl, use your gift, man. Don't let this church tempt you to do a bunch of other stuff. Dig your heels in and say, no, I can't do that because you've asked me to shepherd the flock and teach the word. Allow him to do that. And you know what will happen in the meantime? You will be enormously benefited. You will be blessed and built up. You will be strengthened in your faith. You will grow in grace. And you will thank God for the smart day that under Christ, you hired Daryl Dash as your pastor. Now, here's the, my conclusion. You can't grow in grace if you have not embraced the saving grace of Jesus. You can't change one thing in your life without first coming to him in repentance and faith. But if you bend to him for repentance and faith, I suspect that's most of you, then you ought to be hyped up about your future the future that God has for you. Father, I thank you for your people. And being here this morning has been a reminder to me 
that there is one body, one church. And whether it's a Baptist church over in Mississauga or Grace Fellowship here uh, in Don Mills, I think. I don't know where I am, Lord. <laughs> it's just a refreshing reminder that your church is alive. It is growing. It is moving forward. We thank you, O oh God, and I pray for Grace Fellowship that today is the start of a bright and exciting future as they move forward in faith together. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.